How is that? How is that? All right. Welcome. Welcome. It's so good to be here. Excited to be bringing uh, the word from the book of Proverbs. Before I do, though, wanted to uh, just extend a welcome. If it's your first time here, uh, we're so glad you're here. Glad that you uh, found Rio and decided to worship with us this morning. Uh, Everyone should have gotten a play card as you walked through. Uh, The idea here with the play card is to highlight three areas in the life of our church. Ways that you can get plugged in, explore, discover, grow, and and three things that we really want to drive everyone to. The explore is something you can do with our Alpha course. I don't know if you've ever heard of Alpha. It's an eight- an eight-week course uh, that we run throughout the year. Our next one is in September, September 11th, and it's an absolutely uh, unbelievable time uh, to come together to ask uh, the big questions in life, right, to uh, explore why we're here, uh, where evil came from. Uh, And it's probably, in my estimation, the best tool that we have as a church to reach the world with the conversation of the gospel. And so I would say if you're here today, you're exploring Christianity, uh, you're skeptical towards Christianity, come to Alpha. Uh, If if you just want to learn a little bit more about our our Christian beliefs, come to Alpha, invite a friend, September 11th, Thursday nights, eight-week course, you won't want to miss it. Uh, The second thing that we uh, also want to point to is our Discover. Uh, If you are interested in learning more about Rio, ways to get involved, becoming a member, whatever it might be, uh, we hold our starting point class once a month. The next one is July 28th in the Ingram Cafe. Uh, Plan on being here next Sunday for that. And then also our Grow, Spiritual Formation with Pastor Sam Kassensmith. Listen, he's one of the best Bible teachers I've ever uh, had the privilege of sitting under. Uh, If you haven't been here on the Wednesday night spiritual formation, then you won't want to miss it. Or you, yeah, you don't want to miss it. So come Wednesday nights uh, as Pastor Sam goes through spiritual disciplines. Uh, And then lastly, our feature of the week, the podcast uh, that Sam, Mark, and Drew uh, put together. Uh, It's fantastic. It's so easy to get to. Go to our uh, Rio app. If you don't have a Rio app, download it. Go to the, uh, what is it? Uh, Open the apps, go to the media icon, tap on music, uh, podcast, and then boom, you're right there uh, to listen to a variety of episodes that Sam and the team has put together. Uh, You'll be blessed by it. All right? Okay. So let's jump in here. Um, I want to move our attention to the scripture. I want to uh, jump into, or we're jumping into the middle of our sermon series, The Voice of Reason, Timeless Wisdom uh, from the book of Proverbs. And and what we've learned the last couple of weeks uh, is that wisdom is, is not simply making ethical decisions, although it certainly is that. Uh, Wisdom is making the right decision. Even when like moral rules don't apply, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in the importance of work and rest or, or justice and mercy, having wisdom is being able to navigate life making the right decision. And one of the main objectives that we've had as we've been preaching through this is, is to work through different proverbs and look at the wisdom of the world and what the world is preaching, comparing that with the unchanging, timeless, biblical wisdom of God. And so today, uh, I want to take that discussion and look at the topic of business ethics and how wisdom speaks into how we should conduct ourselves in our work. Right, how as Christians, we should approach our business affairs. And listen, no matter where you're at on the job market, whether you've just started working, uh, you're a mid-career climbing the corporate ladder, uh, you're a stay-at-home mom, or, or maybe you've hung up the boots and, and you're in retirement mode, whatever and wherever you find yourself today, this topic is extremely important. Because see, the reality is, our country 
right? The fabric of our society is built on honest labor and honest enterprise, right? Whether as a buyer or seller, employee, employer, we are intricately woven into the fabric of the marketplace, And therefore, how business is conducted is directly relevant to each of us. And so the question today is, well, then what role do Christians play in that? Right? As believers, how should we conduct our professional life? And is it any different than anyone else? So we're going to tackle that today. Uh, And to tackle that, I want to look at a chunk of passages uh, from the book of Proverbs. Uh, You can follow along with me on the screen. I'm just going to read through uh, a few of them. First is Proverbs 11.1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Unequal weights and unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward His mouth will be full of gravel. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountains is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing, the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goats milk for your food, for the food of your household, and maintenance for your girls. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Let me read to you these uh, list of corporate core values. Integrity. We always strive to do the right thing. Our commitment to truth is unwavering both in action and in words. Servant's attitude. We only exist to serve our internal and external customers so their concerns are always at the forefront of our business. Accountability. A personal choice to rise above one's circumstances and demonstrate the ownership necessary for achieving key results, to see it, own it, solve it, and do it. Doing it right the first time is not our goal, but our standard. Integrity, servant's attitude, accountability. Man, those all sound pretty good, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's inspiring. They're strong. They're concise. Well, those are the three or three of the six core values that you might find on the website of German automobile giant Volkswagen. And Volkswagen, as some of you may or may not know, uh, a few years ago was the center of one of the biggest business scandals in, in recent history. Uh, according to one report, the second, business, the second biggest business scandal in the last 20 years, falling only behind the Enron scandal of 2001. See, the VW scandal known as Dieselgate, uh, it actually ended in 2017 uh, when they pleaded guilty to criminal charges for having engineers intentionally develop and install software uh, in, in VW models from 2008 to 2015. Almost 11 million VW models out there. And if you're a VW driver, I'm not hating on you. It's just, I mean, these are just facts, but... They've corrected it. Anyways, so about 11 million VW models, about f- uh, half a million in the United States alone. And essentially what this software was, was to rig the diesel-powered vehicles to cheat on government emission tests. And VW actually owns about 70% of the U.S. passenger car diesel market. How many diesel VWs out there? Again, it's, not a, it's nothing bad about you. No one, okay, no one's admitting it. That's fine. That's okay. 
But see, for years, they were promoting clean diesel as an alternative to the hybrid and electric vehicles, right? Based off of the emissions test that they were cheating to get good scores on. Now, I'm not saying diesel's not clean. I'm not going down that road. It's interesting because they've actually rebounded quite a bit. They, they announced that they were going to plan uh, to spend, I think, $18 billion to rectify the emissions issues and recall. Uh, interesting enough, they've uh, reestablished their corporate values. Listen to these. We take on responsibility for the environment and society. We're honest and speak up when something is wrong. We keep our word. Obviously, this was a huge deal for VW. Stocks plummeted. The CEO had to resign. They were slapped with a $3 billion criminal fine. Now, VW, obviously, not alone in the business scandal arena. Right? I mean, we find it every year in any industry. Uh, I, I work my Monday through Friday in the physician staffing industry. And a few years ago, 2016, uh, we were doing an initial, uh, initial pre-screening of a pediatric neurologist who wanted to work through our company. And it didn't take us long to determine that, no, we were never going to work with this guy because we actually found out that he was under a civil action lawsuit for misdiagnosing hundreds of children with epilepsy, right? intentionally ordering and misreading the EEG tests that his business plan required him to do. Actually, just a few weeks ago, uh, a jury trial awarded a former patient of that doctor about $3 million. But it's crazy, right? And, and what I find so interesting is how the global marketplace recognizes the importance and need to establish the core values that I read for VW. And yet we're consistently seeing things veer off track. I read an article from the Harvard Business Review that reported 80% of the Fortune 100 companies uh, tout their core values publicly. So they publicize the, the values that they stand on, values, honest labor, honest enterprise as part of the fabric of our society. They're powerful, right? And real, real values can truly set a company apart from the competition, Right, by clarifying its identity, by serving as a rallying point for employees, for inspiring customer loyalty. I mean, values are meant to act as operating principles that guide decisions and constrain behavior. So why do things happen like the Dieselgate scandal? Right? How do companies, how do people, how do businesses fall to such level of dishonesty in their business affairs? Now, obviously... This isn't something unique to our cultural climate, right? As we saw in, in Proverbs, it speaks to it in Proverbs 11.1 1 in 2010, right? A, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. See, in, in ancient times, merchant might label a one pound weight as two pounds, place it on the scale, and then lead the buyer to pay more for the grain than he should, Right, so the false balance, the unequal balance is referring to dishonest business practices. And so, and, and listen, it applies not just to the massive, incredible business scandals that are out there, but it, it, it applies to the day-to-day -day trenches of our work. So why does it happen? And I think there's a few ways that we can answer this, but one of the reasons, and what we'll uh, spend some time focusing on today is that when it comes to business ethics, 
the wisdom of the world, right? The, the real spirit of the marketplace preaches an entirely different ethic than the values posted on their websites and framed on the walls in their offices. Now, I'm not saying those, those values are meaningless. It's interesting because most business owners and managers and employees, they, they do say and truly believe that you should be honest and fair, right? That we should treat people right, that we should give back to the community. But here's the thing. The fundamental reason they believe that is because it's good for business, right? It, it, it can enhance your reputation, it creates a good working environment for your employees, where employees can trust one another, where customers can trust the company. Integrity is profitable. Dishonesty is not. And that's the case most of the time. And, and in the long run, it's true. But see, it's not the case all the time. And so most people live out an ethic not based on This is the right thing to do. In reality, people live out an ethic based off what I've heard described as a cost-benefit analysis. And and here's what that means. There are always some situations in which short-term gains for an ethical, questionable decision will be much greater than the potential danger of being found out and the cost associated with it. Okay, so so on the basis of a cost-benefit analysis, the potential gains vastly outweigh the risk. And there are situations in any industry in which doing purely the ethical thing could be financially devastating. And so therefore, according to the strict cost-benefit analysis, the risk of getting caught in an ethical violation or fracturing a relationship is clearly a risk worth taking. Because see... At least in part of the time, it's bad business to be honest. And see, the core value and wisdom of the world, the ethic that steers and truly directs business affairs in an ultra-competitive market is not integrity, honesty, doing what's right. It's a win at all costs. The end justifies the mean. Greed is good kind of ethic. And see, in that situation, really the only ethical question that's asked is, is this legal or is this illegal? And and, and then from there, if everyone is doing it and if money can be made, you do your cost-benefit analysis and then off you go. I was watching um, The Greatest Showman the other day. Anyone see that one? Pretty good, uh, decent movie. Uh, it was, came out a few years ago. Star-studded cast, Hugh Jackman absolutely crushed it. Zac Efron, decent. Nothing, I mean, I don't know why I said Zac Efron here. No? Okay. So I didn't want to offend him. Uh, but it tells a story of how uh, P.T. Barnum, right, he founded the circus. Uh, while the movie was in no way a, a factual account of the life of Barnum, I mean, in real life, Barnum was a kind of a huckster. He, was, he promoted hoaxes and he exploited people just to make a dollar. Uh, but neither here nor there. It was a good, pretty good movie chronicling Barnum as he, as he assembled this group of misfits and outcasts and, and selling people with what he called human curiosities, Right? Completely exaggerating, and in some cases, completely making up false narratives about the characters in the show to make them even more curious. And at one point in the film, as the, as the circus is gaining popularity and Barnum's fame and fortune is expanding, 
Barnum's nemesis in the film, James Bennett, uh, he's a newspaper uh, critic, and, and here's what he asked Barnum. He says, does it bother you that everything you're selling is fake? And Barnum, who in the, in the movie was always quick with a comeback, retorts, do these smiles seem fake? Well, then it doesn't matter where they come from. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not hating on the circus because we kind of actually know what to expect with the circus, but it does speak to the ethos of the marketplace, right? The, the end justifies the mean. Win at all costs, maximize shareholder value. It doesn't matter what you have to do you, and who you have to trample to get the promotion. Whatever you have to do to keep hitting your numbers, whatever you have to say to make the sale, and see, the hardest part for anyone operating in that kind of culture is the compromised mindset that if this is how everyone else is behaving, and if I'm going to be competitive, I've got to be just as ruthless. I've got to be just as willing to cross this line to do whatever it takes to win. Because in the end, as the world says, it doesn't matter how you get there. It just matters that we win. It matters that we get there. Now, please don't mishear me there. I'm not saying that competition in the marketplace is bad. I love competition. I love competition in sport. I love competition in work. Competition can breed healthy accountability. But when the operating principles and the guiding ethic is win at all cost and deceptive and dishonest means are used, although it might taste sweet in the moment, as Proverbs 20:17 tells us, we're opening ourselves up to a wickedness that only ultimately leads to destruction and it never satisfies. See, wealth gained by fraud will taste like gravel in our mouths. It will always leave the hunger of the soul ungratified. And then we see the same in Proverbs 11, 18, the word deceptive in Hebrew, sakar, it literally means empty. You're earning emptiness. We are willing to go to unethical and deceptive places with a win at all cost mindset because our work and success and wealth has this power and ability to make us think it will give us far more than it ever can. Right? We, we slip into believing if I can just make this sale or I'll cross this ethical line here because if I could just keep my numbers where they need to be this month. And we think that somehow with that win will come life and peace and satisfaction. And listen, there, there might be some short-lived sweetness. But in the end, it leaves only emptiness. So what does that mean? For Christians, right? How should our ethics affect our professional life and guide our business affairs? I mean, if we have a radical different resource for our ethics in Jesus, which we do, how does that play out in the trenches of our business affairs? With Jesus as our compass, I want to look at two truths. And I think if we, can, if we can grab hold of these truths, it will shape the way we conduct our business. All right, the first thing is that we are guided by a different wisdom. 
And we work for a different audience. We're guided by a different wisdom. We work for a different audience. All right, so the first thing I want to look at, we're, we're guided by a different source of wisdom. Uh, Mr. Boyd Clark, uh, a pharmaceutical and vaccine uh, industry consultant. He's been a CEO of uh, a number of uh, pharmaceutical and vaccine companies, which is about a cutthroat industry as you can find. Uh, he's a believer. He was interviewed. Listen to how he answers the question, how do Christian ethics affect your profession? He says this, if you look at the great scandals in business that we've had over the last five to ten years, and you see many of them that have gone to trial, the great debate of those trials is whether or not the action that was taken was illegal or legal. I think that is an insufficient model for Christians in business. You'll have to pay a price occasionally if you operate with a value-based ethical decision. And it's hard to know where those lines are going to be drawn. But if you don't ask the question, you will never have the precision of being able to say, this is where I stand. It's terribly difficult, he says, but terribly important. Listen, if we're not willing to ask the question of how does my, my relationship with Jesus, my, my faith in Christ and what he's accomplished for me, how is that going to steer my decisions in the trenches at work? We will be swept away by the win at all cost wisdom of the world. We need to be asking that question. And see, I think the reality is so often we don't. Right? We, we, we separate the spiritual from the secular. Church is spiritual. Work is secular. And if we're believers, maybe we have a Bible in our office and, and we play Christian music on the radio. But the way we conduct our business affairs and make directional decisions in our work is completely separate. And the question, how should my ethics as a believer and recipient of the grace of Jesus guide me in this decision? does not get asked as it should in the trenches, but we need to be asking. See, we get so caught up by the wisdom of the world, by the win at all costs, the end justifies the mean, the power of wealth, just trying to keep up. And we get so distracted, we don't give ourselves the space to actually think and ask ourselves the most important questions we can ask. And see, Jesus actually speaks to this in Luke chapter 12. And what's referred to as the parable of the rich fool. Uh, Let me read this for you. You can follow along on the screen. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus replied, man, who appointed me judge or executor between you? And he said to them, watch out, guard yourselves against every form of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He then told them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced an abundance. So he thought to himself, what shall I do since I have nowhere to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up all my grain and my goods. Then I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be required of you. Then who will own what you have accumulated? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. Listen, please hear this. Don't get caught up by the wisdom of the world and win at all cost, greed is good ethic. 
we, we have to ask the question. And the only way we'll ever be able to answer those value-based ethical questions in the trenches of our work with any clarity, the only solution to the power of the end justifies the means ethic is to truly see yourself rich toward God. So Christian, do you truly believe in the functional fibers of your hearts that we in Christ are truly rich toward God? I mean, do we believe that? Listen, riches on earth will bring short-lived status. There's no doubt about it. But hear this. We are children of the king of the universe who by the power of his word spoke the universe into existence and breathed life into you and holds all of life together with the power of his hand. And listen, riches on earth can bring some security. But the promise from biblical wisdom is that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called by him. Do you feel the depth of the riches that are ours in Christ? Like wrap your heart around that reality. Riches are, are on earth bring power. But listen to this. We will rule with Christ in eternity. Listen, Christ has paid the only debt, only debt that could destroy us, right? Which makes all other debts inconsequential, right? Christ lived the life that you couldn't live, fulfilling the perfect demands of God, paying the penalty that your sins deserve, namely death, spiritual, physical, emotional death, separation from God, and all of his goodness for eternity, He died in your place on the cross, taking the wrath of God that you deserved. He was buried and on the third day, defeating sin and death and paying your debt, Christ rose from the grave victorious to give you life. And his promise is for all who trust and believe, calling upon his name for salvation and forgiveness will be saved, will be clothed in his righteousness and brought into relationship with him to live and commune with God and reign forever with him for all eternity. In Christ, you are truly rich. Can I get an amen? amen. Thank you. Yes. All right. There we go. Clap. We can clap. We can clap. That's good. I just needed a breather, actually, because I was going pretty hard there for about 10, 15 minutes. So thank you for that. We've got to ask the questions, right? In the, in the trenches, because we have a radically different resource for our ethics in Jesus. So seek him, right, to, to guide in your business affairs. And as we do, I, I'm telling you, the world will take notice, because we're guided by a different source of wisdom. Seek richness toward God in Christ. Secondly, we work for a different audience. Uh, and our last passage in Proverbs uh, gives a bit of framework uh, along with other scripture. But let me read Proverbs 27, 23 through 27 again. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. When the grass is gone and the new growth appears and the vegetation of the mountain is gathered, the lambs will provide your clothing. 
the goats the price of a field. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and the maintenance of your girls. So there's some true wisdom for our work and ethics in our business is not the message of the world, which is essentially self-interest. Right? And, it's, and it's also, and it's so important to notice, and, and, and Pastor Sam preached on this a few weeks ago, it's not a, a message of disinterest toward work either, like work doesn't matter, or that work is just drudgery. No, true wisdom for our work is found in humble, realistic, meaningful engagement rooted in a deep trust in God. So we see in Proverbs, like we see in this passage in Proverbs, work honest, work hard, plan well, treat people right. Right? That's what we see with the instruction to really understand and cultivate your sources of income in the condition of your flock. Know well the condition of your flock. Pour into your work. Pay attention to your herds. Make wise, good, well-planned investments. We can't be out of touch with the the changing realities of, of the world and of life. Because listen, even riches and wealth gained by honest means doesn't last forever. So you hear the wisdom in the book of Proverbs, work hard, work honest, plan well, treat people right. But the question here is to what end? Right? For, for whom are you working for? Whose opinion about your work matters most? See, the reality is we all work for an audience, whether we're aware of it or not. Some perform to, to please parents, others to impress their peers. Others to, to win your boss, your, your opinion of your boss. Well, I think a lot of us, and this is kind of where I fall, we do it strictly to just live up to the own standards that we've set in our own minds for ourselves. And see, listen, all of these audiences are inadequate, right? And depending on who's watching and when, it'll leave you burnt out, burning the candle at both ends, just completely running as fast as you can in the grind in and grind out. Or it leads you to, to underwork. It leads you to the other side or sometimes a mixture of both. And, and listen, Christians' audience is completely other, right? Christians look to an audience of one, our heavenly Father who loves us, who has sought us out. And see, that gives us accountability both and joy in our work. Serving God wholeheartedly, working for him, not for man, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Colossians chapter 3. See, it's when we begin to function in that reality that Christians can take a stand against unethical behavior, when we understand the audience to whom we work, even if it means great sacrifice on our part to make an ethical-based decision. I love how uh, Tim Keller puts it in his book, Every Good Endeavor. He writes, Fortunately, the storyline of the Christian faith gives believers an ethical bedrock a much firmer foundation for acting with integrity than offered by the pragmatic approach of a cost-benefit analysis. We are to be honest, compassionate, and generous, not because these things are rewarding, which they usually are, but because they are right in and of themselves, because to do so honors the will of God and his design for human life. 
Isn't that what we were created for? To honor and glorify our heavenly Father. Keller ends his quote by saying, Indeed, as, as Bible scholar Bruce Walkie points out, the Bible says that, that the very definition of righteous people is that they disadvantage themselves to advantage others. And listen, sometimes making the ethical right decision in our business will disadvantage us. But who are you trusting in? Who are you working for? See, we have a radically different resource for our ethics in Jesus. We're guided by different wisdom, and we work for a different audience. So let that shape the way we do business. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are thankful, Lord, for your truth, for your wisdom. Lord, we recognize we can get so caught up in the the rat race of what is work life. Lord, we get swept into this wisdom of, of the world that ultimately leads to emptiness. Lord, when deception and, and, and dishonesty creeps into the way that we conduct ourselves, uh, Lord, it will be like gravel in our mouth. But Lord, help us to, to set our gaze on you. Lord, serving you with our work. Understanding that you are our great inheritance. Lord, give us a robust picture of what life and work would look like if we can just capture the beauty of the wisdom that you offer to us for our work. And that we capture the beauty that our audience isn't our our parents. Our audience isn't the boss that we're trying to impress or the peers or the standard that we set to ourselves. Our audience is you. And in Christ, you are looking down on us saying, I am well pleased. You are my perfect son and daughter. Seek me. Because I am where you'll find rest. Lord, I pray that be our prayer. Lord, I pray too also for anyone here now that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would work in their hearts, that you would open their ears to hear, their eyes to see. Pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.